Hi, this is Savio. I've been seeking answers to some of life's most perplexing questions my entire life. In 2014, I was diagnosed with stage 3 cancer. And ever since, I realized my calling existed outside of what I knew to be familiar. This podcast is home for survivors like myself and those who yearn to build resilience in their mindset and live their best life. In Season 3, the show includes a mix of coaching sessions followed by interviews with those from all walks of life who have been successful in the wellness, business, media, and travel industries. The intent is to show the human experience in its rawest form so that others may glean insight. Nothing is rehearsed. As a board-certified wellness coach, number one best-selling author, and syndicated columnist, my job is to ask the deep questions of those trying to make sense of their place in this fractured world. I believe life speaks to us in different ways. Many of us listen, but don't know how or where to begin. As someone who has crossed the bridge between life and death, I say simply, begin where you are now and get busy living. If you liked today's episode, I would appreciate it if you could share it. Be sure to tag me at The Human Resolve so I can reciprocate in kind. So without further ado, welcome to The Human Resolve Podcast. Today's podcast guest is Eve McDavid, Google strategy executive, femtech entrepreneur, and cervical cancer survivor. As Eve states, I woke up most mornings of my life feeling like I had a gun to my head. Get up, get started, get going. And there are still mornings where I find myself in this very unconscious loop. Hi, Eve. Good to see you. Great to see you, Savio. Thank you for having me. Sure. So what would you like coaching on? today? So I would like coaching on working to connect my mental state to my physical body and my senses. And I'll share with you, I've listened to a number of your previous podcasts and I've listened to a number of your guests and it was really helpful for me to hear other cancer survivors articulate some of these challenges that I think we all go through. And um, it can be very daunting to look up stories and wonder if what you're feeling is a common experience or your own experience. And as I was listening, you know, it occurred to me that cancer forces so many impossible situations, uh, one of which is what the treatment and therapeutics does to your senses. And I have always been a highly emotionally intelligent person, and I've always led with that. I've led with empathy and understanding and vision and being able to sense a person's energy and behavior and sort of organize how that fits into my understanding of our interactions, how we'll work together, be together, things like that. But what I wasn't prepared for was to have all my senses altered after treatment and what it means to rely even more heavily on EQ when your body sort of stops sending signals. you know, my, my senses have improved. 
Um, but I, I lost my, um, I lost my sense of smell and taste. And for a long time, I would only taste metal in my mouth because of the chemotherapy. Um, I had ringing in my ears that has improved, but it really ticks up with stress. And that's sort of an interesting experiment. When I have ringing in my ears, I have to say to myself, okay, what am I super stressed out about right now? Where is that coming from? Um, Even my vision blurred. And so in the aftermath of so much change in your physical body, and then of course, everything that, you know, you sort of feel on edge about, you know, this was going on in my body. I didn't know about it. I was so sick. How did I, you know, sort of get up every day and go, even though I was so, you know, playing hurt. Um, I found myself, you know, totally relying on feelings and emotions and thought patterns. Uh, And this journey in recovery has been sort of a melding of the two back together realizing that I am still living in this very body and everything about it is, is very, very different. And so how do I make sure I'm paying attention to these signals that are quite altered when I'm also continuing to feel these, you know, tremendous energetic signals of what I'm picking up from an EQ standpoint. So it's been sort of, some of it is cognitive dissonance. (laughs) Some of it is like learning to live in your body again and in the, in a changed and altered way and accepting it. Um, But it's, it's been a, a journey really of my recovery to understand how I, you know, pair my mind with the physical being of my body and, believing that the two are working together instead of feeling that, you know, they're, they're very disparate and they're, they're separate. So what I'm hearing is sort of trying to come to terms with what's happening in your mind and and your mental state with the senses of what's, what you're feeling and, and sort of grabbing at. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So what would be a really good outcome for today? Yeah. You know, we've talked a little bit about this, this idea of embodiment and that cancer was a moment for me that was just a blaring siren, pay attention. And I can hear that, you know, I've like put that on the loop in my mind. Um, But I want to make sure that when my body is sending me a signal, if it's tightness in my chest, if it's anxiety dreams, if it's a quickening pulse or sweat down my back, that that's just as important to me. And sort of like, I'm aware of that in the moment, as I am the idea of, I really, really care about how I feel in this situation. And I want to make sure that I'm doing something that is good for me first, good for the folks who are closest to me next, and then for everyone else. Uh, And it's sort of a reminder of how to be, how to take care of myself, how how to pay attention when these feelings, either sensory or emotional, 
are presenting themselves and understanding, you know, what is fact, what is feeling, um, what's something to act on, what's something to think about and table. Uh, and maybe perhaps coming up with a, a, like a thought process or a way to check in with myself on um, what to pay attention to, what's important, what's a signal, uh, and digest that first before thinking, okay, I need to do something about it, or I need to act, or I need to share this, or I need to change something. So what I'm hearing is a process to check in with self before you act, before you do something. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So yes. What was life like before cancer? Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Um, sometimes I feel like I was born the day I was diagnosed. Um, it has been such a profound change in my life. And I think a lot of it has to do with the timing of it all. I was diagnosed in January of 2020. I was eight months pregnant, living in New York City with my husband and my toddler. And I underwent treatment during what I call peacetime, <laughs> meaning I showed up to my hospital every day and my oncologists did their day job of treating cancer patients until early March of 2020, when all of a sudden my hospital became one of the epicenters of the COVID-19 pandemic in New York. And I watched my care professionals feel the panic that we were all feeling. And that was a state of, an, of alarm that I hadn't, and no one had anticipated, none of us could anticipate, right? Um, but it, it totally changed my understanding of what my crisis was, because now my personal existential crisis existed in the world's existential crisis. Um, my life before cancer was powerful. And thinking back, I'd like to say it was deliberate, um, although I certainly wasn't as aware, I think, as I am in its aftermath. Um, I've had a very successful career. I've, I'm very proud of my success. I've um, navigated success uh, independently from a very, very young age. Uh, I learned how to um, I learned how to make money. I learned how to, uh, you know, foster relationships and um, find mentors, find folks who would lend a hand or lend advice or help me through. Uh, and I learned to work incredibly hard. Uh, and that hard work has a way of converting into the only work, <laughs> meaning that I felt very comfortable being incredibly busy. Um, there was a point in time very early in our marriage where my husband was like, well, like, why, like, what does the next promotion mean? And I, you know, I had like my, you know, like white knuckling my, you know, the seat of the chair being like, what do you mean? That's exactly what this is for. It's the next promotion and then the next promotion, the next promotion. 
he said to me, well, Eve, you know, like, what would you do if you had more time? You know, what would it look like if, you know, there were other parts of your life that sort of filled in this pie more? Um, and I didn't have a great answer to that, you know, and it made me very uncomfortable to even explore what that meant. And so, you know, my my world really revolved around building my career, building my family and sort of on the fly figuring out what if there was balance, what that looked like. Um, and then, you know, cancer skidded everything to a halt. Um, it was winter. And so it was be before the pandemic, but I was immunocompromised. We were worried about common colds and the flu. We were already staying home, right? Yeah, I was feeling, you know, I was a new mom. I was in this period of postpartum trying to figure out how to bond with my baby while I wasn't there, you know, in, in many ways, our pandemic started in January. And so when everything shut down, and I think we all had this collective moment of panic, and then for us, this really intense stretch of reflection, um, you know, we sort of looked up and we're like, what if we started doing things differently? What if our life looked a little bit different? What if I finally sort of reckoned with all of these forces that I felt had been driving me for so long that maybe weren't the most healthy, but I just didn't have another way of understanding how to go through this. And so um, there's been a really, really marked shift in the before and after. Um, and so, you know, when I say, I feel like I began at my diagnosis, um, I really mean it, you know, everything physically, our location, our relationships, um, even, you know, this type of work that I'm doing, all of it is so, so very different. So in reflection, how has life been now for you? Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll say I, I feel incredibly fortunate and I feel incredibly grateful. And I have, um, I have a long list of people and, uh, and um, organizations and my company to thank for that. Um, you know, I, I had an extraordinary outcome to treatment. Uh, and I also had the time to recover. Uh, you know, I, I think that treatment is so interesting because it is, to me, it felt a lot like work in the sense that there's a structure to it. There's a rhythm. You show up every day. There's a protocol. There's a team of folks. It's their profession to do what they do. And you are sort of at the center of it. And there's a rhythm to it. And then you get out of treatment and you're in recovery on your hopefully on your way to remission. I was on my way. I, you know, I was on my way to remission. I am in remission. And all of a sudden recovery is like boundless and unpredictable. And there's the, for me, there was the mental health fallout of everything that I had just witnessed and endured uh, in addition to everything that I'd sort of never grappled with before cancer that all reared its head. And so I, um, 
really for the first time in my life, I, you know, I raised my hand and I said, I need help and I need a lot of help. And so I was so very fortunate. My company has really generous leave policies and I was able to take the time to help myself and work with professionals to physically recover and then also help myself and work with professionals to recover in a mental health capacity. And I, you know, I, I, sometimes I wonder what was more difficult, the treatment or facing all of myself. You know, I had one point where I said to myself, you know, I have to be able to look at myself in the mirror when I go to bed and I have to be able to look at myself in the mirror when I wake up in the morning and be proud of this woman I see and proud of this life that I'm leading. And I'm not, I'm not there right now. I don't feel that way. And it was a really, it was a really drastic shift to understand that this woman I was in the world was not the same woman I was to myself and even to my family at home. And there was this enormous reckoning of what it meant to prioritize myself and my health and be good to myself and my family first before doing anything out in the world. And I never anticipated that it would take as sort of interesting a journey as it has. Um, But what I found was that facing all of this helped me wake up calm in the morning. You know, for the first time in my life, I would wake up and open my eyes (laughs) and say, oh my God, I'm here again, you know, instead of feeling like, and this is like a very, um, I say this like with real intention, you know, I woke up most mornings of my life feeling like I had a gun to my head, you know, get up, get started, get going. And there are still mornings where I find myself in this very unconscious loop where, you know, as soon as I wake up, I can hop right out of bed and I find myself brushing my teeth and, doing something in the bathroom and checking my phone and looking at something. And I'll call to myself. I'm like, Eve, like you haven't woken up yet. Like open your eyes. This is not, you know, this is not how you have to start your day. Uh, And it, it, it took a tremendous amount of work and processing and acknowledgement and, you know, safety and time to be able to do that, to get to a place where I can wake up in the morning. I can take a deep breath. I can feel a tremendous sense of, gratitude and and really like appreciate the surprise of waking up again and being able to live my life again. Um, And I never could have, I mean, even these, the words that I'm using to describe my morning, that is something that I'd never seen before. I'd never really understood that that was part of me too, or could be available. Uh, And that, that presence has given me a lot of reassurance that you know, I'm on the right path and my body is recovering and my mind is recovering and, you know, I'm doing my best just to join the two as I go in time. So Eve, I'm curious, with all you've been through, who do you want to be? Oh my goodness. I want to be a woman who helps other women. Um, I, when I was diagnosed, I felt so many conflicting emotions all at once. 
And actually I've been reading Brene Brown's book, Atlas of the Heart, where she talks about our brain's capacity to feel conflicting emotions and how it develops, you know, perhaps later than we think, although our brains develop for so very long, much longer, you know, than like our actual, we begin using them much earlier than, um, you know, than they're fully formed. And when I was diagnosed, I, I had the fear and the terror and the sadness and the grief that I think is very, both particular and common when you experience a cancer diagnosis. Uh, and then I also experienced so much shame and humiliation, not that anyone had said you should be ashamed of a cervical cancer diagnosis, um, but my thought stream, right, was, okay, well, I'm someone who had always sought preventative care. I was up to date on my pap test. I had the HPV vaccine in my 20s. To me, I look like someone who did everything to prevent this disease. But when you read about cervical cancer, you read that it's preventable. And so the feeling of someone who has taken those steps and still has preventable cancer is a very difficult identity to wear. And then you add to it that it's caused by HPV, which is particular to HPV related cancers, not all types of cancers. But I found myself saying, like, how do I tell people that I have a sexually transmitted infection that caused a preventable disease? What is that storyline? What does that say about me? And how do I show up with that? I don't know how to wear that, you know? And it was this really powerful undertow. And because of it, I didn't share my diagnosis broadly. You know, I, I think about like, I'll tell you a few examples of this. Um, I was already going out on maternity leave at work, which is a period where really like it's protected time. So I was planning to disappear for six months. And so it didn't feel like the right time for me to share, okay, I also have cancer because I was so terrified. What if I didn't make it? I, I couldn't yet face that. And so I told just a select few of leaders at work. I thought these are the people who have the greatest influence on myself as an employee at this company. And in my long career at the company, these have been very, very important people to me. Um, I'll, I'll tell them that, you know, I've been diagnosed, but I didn't even tell them that I had cervical cancer until, you know, multiple touch points later, because it took the grappling of, you know, how do I square all of this? And I'll tell you, you know, I was a public person in the sense that I love a stage. I love a microphone. I love a presentation. I love working with people. I love connecting. And all of a sudden I felt like all of that was unavailable. And I started looking for leaders who were talking about cervical cancer and cervical health care. And it's, it's not that they, like, we don't exist, right? We do. And I, I look at, I mean, um, 
Tamika Felder at Survivor has led an incredible organization to help women out of this feeling of shame as you battle cancer. And um, I, I, I wanted to do that. I wanted to be, I wanted to find a voice where I saw myself and have that help me through this. And it was something that I held on to. And uh, in working with my husband, who's a mental health professional, he very early on had said to me, and I <laughs> had a very hard time hearing it, uh, but he had said to me very early on, he said, you know, this is, this is going to be, you will get through this and this will be an opportunity. You will look back at this and this will be a great point of inflection in your life. You will do something with this. This will change you. This will open up new avenues for you that you've never imagined before. Um, and you have to get there to do it. And at the time I was like, what? you're giving me a project? Like, what are you talking about? I, I, I can barely get through the moments. Um, and I know I got there. And so, you know, starting to speak out, starting to address the shame, starting to talk about cervical health care in a very public way that makes it comfortable to talk about things that, you know, it's, it's difficult to talk about gynecologic care. It's difficult to talk about our vaginas. It's difficult to talk about our reproductive organs. Uh, and I don't want it to be. And so if I can be a woman who helps another woman make it easier to talk about this, make it easier to show up for herself, to ask the hard questions of her provider when she's in that exam room for the 15 minutes she's getting every year. That will be the gift of this, that all of this was worth it because I'm able to help another woman be more empowered and take care of herself and prevent, not necessarily this eventuality, but whatever she needs to be addressed, to live a healthier, more confident life and not leave the unspoken to fester and potentially create problems for her. That is, um, that is the woman I hope to be. For someone like yourself, who's lived mostly in your head, do you want to try an experiment with me and see what your heart might lead you to? I'd love to. Okay. So just want you to get comfortable in your seat. You can close your eyes or soften your gaze. Just take a couple of breaths in and out for me. So I want you to focus in the area of the heart. Just tell me if anything's bubbling up for you or coming up. What do you think I'm about? I'm trying to be patient. <laughs> when you think about all that you've been through, cancer, pregnancy, COVID, and the aftermath. And who you want to become. Is there any wisdom that's, that's coming forth? You know, when you say that, I, um, I think, oh my gosh, that's such a courageous woman. 
Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I feel it. I feel the, it's not tension. It's more so like a current in my body. And it's letting me know that I'm here and I'm alive. And my body is functioning. You know, all the organs are, they're working together. They're producing the ability to be right here. Have you ever felt this alive before? This is very new. Um, This is very new. It's only in, you know, the last few months. Uh, And this is a feeling right now that I have to find intentionally, you know, in the way that we're doing this right now, you know, it, it requires the focus of being still. And how has stillness shown up for you in your life? I think it's the foundation. Um, you know, I think to start from a place of calm is a very new identity. to sort of be able to turn down my alarms is um, that's new. That's very new. To turn down your alarms is very new. Mm-hmm. Any uh, steps or ideas that you think you could do to turn down the volume a little bit? Well, I really like this. <laughs> so if we could meditate together <laughs> you mentioned meditation uh, is is that even plausible yeah. in your life yeah you know I um I have been meditating I before cancer I was a really devoted runner and I ran all the time it was my therapy it was the way that I managed anxiety and stress and I mean, everything. It was the way I was a healthy partner in my marriage, a healthy mother to my daughter. Um, there'd be times when, you know, my husband and I would have friction. I can think you haven't run yet today. Out, you know, go. Um, and I, I started running again after treatment. I ran last year, um, but I, in, um, early 2021, I had a procedure to help optimize my healing after radiation. And there was a week in advance where I couldn't run. And that was the longest I hadn't run outside of the end of my pregnancies in more than a decade. And I didn't start again after the procedure. And I started doing yoga and um, three or four months ago, I, you know, on Peloton, once you get, you select yoga instead of the bike, you know, you're in a different stream of customers, right? Um, And so I started dabbling in the meditation practice and just listening to someone talk about calming down and paying attention to my body has been a really restorative experience. Um, it's, 
sort of like a new introduction of a tool. So on those mornings where I feel the tightness in my chest or I wake up alarmed from a dream, I'll turn it on to use that before sort of the world comes in and dictates the world, right? It's my mind that comes in to dictate what I do next. Um, so it's been something that I've been working on accessing and incorporating. And, um, you know, all of this is a process. It's like one piece at a time. Besides the physical act of running, has running afforded you other options? It, it has. Um, although I feel my joints a lot more now. I, you know, I, I realized what I was running through, meaning I didn't take days off. I was very comfortable running on sore muscles. Uh, I never, um, I never had a injury that really took me out of it. Um, but I, I ran through a lot, uh, and it really, you know, we talked about this earlier, like, what would I do if I wasn't working as hard? Uh, I said to my husband, it was like, what, so I'll like run more mileage? You know, it was such a big part of my life and how I worked through so much. And, and I also, I take a lot of pride in that because I picked up running at a really dark period of my life. I was, you know, right out of college, I was working in um, a really interesting job, but also, you know, as they are a very demanding job and I was gaining a lot of weight and I was depressed. I was living in a city where I, you know, I didn't know very many people. And I looked at myself in the mirror one day and I was like, Eve, this is not who you are. And I started running the next morning and I just didn't stop, you know? So it, it, um, the the function of exercise was a hugely important part of me getting through every day you know it was a release valve it was a um it was a a, a tension turn down um and you know i i walk now i play some tennis i do some yoga you know it's a very different it's still the same um, need for movement to change the channel, if you will. Um, but the intensity now is just so different, you know, and what I hold myself to, uh, you know, a mile marker versus 30 minutes on a yoga mat or a walk in the neighborhood, it's a very different mentality. And my state afterwards is quite different. It's, Again, it's it's just less intense, you know. Are there any other things you can do to create more calm and stillness in yourself besides running? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that's been so profound is how clarifying something like cancer is, where you know, you realize the time is always right now, you know, like tomorrow is something, right? 
Um, but it, it's not a given. And so, you know, like, I had always wondered, like, when will I feel that I've done what I wanted to do, that I've done what I was supposed to do, that, you know, this is, this is what all of this was for. Um, and now, you know, I have a moment with my kids on the couch or this morning before we got started, the kids were in our bed after they woke up and I see my, my baby, my little boy, he just turned two, and, you know, I see his beautiful hair and his smile and I'm overwhelmed with a feeling of joy. And, you know, that's, that's what you get, you know, those are, that's what you live for. You, you live for the realization that you're in a place where you're happy and there isn't a crisis and you share that with someone who's intimately connected to you. Um, and then you have to take that with you, right? Cause that moment, it changes very, very quickly. The kids sprint out of bed or they're mad about breakfast or you're late to a meeting or whatever it is. Um, and so you, I have found that I have to search for the calm and I have to remember that feeling of the calm and the joy when things start to hit the fritz, when that feeling escapes me and I feel the tension or I feel the angst or the fright or any other feeling that, you know, moves you from feeling like that to not feeling like that very, very quickly. So Eve, we spoke a lot about this feeling you had about sort of living in the the mind and, and, and the mental space and sort of actualizing that in the physical body and your senses. If you were to craft a bio for yourself, oh. what would it say? Okay. Well, I'll start with who I want to be. Eve is a woman who helps other women. She is someone who acknowledges the very, very hard road she took to be alive at this very moment. She's someone who appreciates the gifts that she's so fortunate to have her family, her life, and ability to live freely in this world. And she's someone who gets to say when. She's someone who, when she feels her body telling her no, or stay away, or pay attention, or it's enough, that that is worthy of paying attention to. And she is allowed to make decisions based on what she senses. Uh, and that's how she now chooses to live her life every day. And how would she make sure that she's accountable to all those things, beautiful things you mentioned? Uh, 
So one of the things that I've started doing this year, every year, my husband and I talk about not necessarily resolutions for the new year, but ideas that we want to keep coming back to. This year, mine is stay open. These experiences crack you wide open. You're so unbelievably vulnerable and messy. and But it's in that where there's real change and growth and insight and opportunity. And I want to continue that feeling. I don't want to reform and close and say that was a chapter and it's behind me. Rather, it's part of me and it's how I, it's, I've always wondered, I've always, in the last two years I've wondered, you can get through this, but do you ever move on, you know? And I think in our work where we choose to stay in what it means to talk about cancer, to help other people through it, it's an acknowledgement that it's part of you, you know? It's this piece of us that lives with us and we take that with us in the way that we interact. And so when you, when we talk about this process and as I'm, as, we're, as you say that word, I'm thinking about something that I've been doing as a way to remind myself to stay open. You know, it's one thing to sort of say it. Um, but when I wake up in the morning now, especially on those hard mornings where my body's telling me it's in an old rhythm, I go through Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, I say, okay, let's do like a safety check. Is my family safe? Are they healthy? Are we financially secure? Do we have a home to live in? Do we have food? Okay, yes, 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 yes. And I know that puts me in a very, very, very privileged category. Um, but I, um, I need that right now. You know, I, I need that checklist of reminders that, this is not a crisis. I'm living in a new stasis and the foundational elements of my life that two years ago were so drastically blown out of whack have now settled back down. They look very different from what they used to look like. Um, but it's a reminder that everything is okay. And I think in what we're talking about, what I can do is formalize that a bit, you know, maybe put that on paper or write that on a mirror or have some sort of talisman that reminds me my hierarchy of needs is solid. And so I can feel the calm that that security is intended to deliver. Who was to use the analogy of running? Would you say that you're running away from something or running towards something? Mm. Well, I know I was running away from a lot <laughs> before cancer. Um, I would say 33 years of unrealized, compartmentalized challenges. 
Um, now I feel like I am running or walking or posing towards, <laughs> um, towards my future, you know, towards the life that I fought so damn hard to have. And um, it almost is like every day is the future, right? Again, every day I wake up and I think, holy crap. Oh my God, I'm here again, <laughs> you know, uh, and I want to be here. You know, I, I want to be alive and I, I want to do things like this every day to honor and acknowledge it. And so now I very much feel like I'm building again, very much feel like I'm building again. Lovely. Well, do you feel complete? Do you want to transition into the interview portion? I would love to. And yes, I feel whole. Thank you, Salvio. Sure. That was beautiful. That was a beautiful experience. Great. So tell my audience more about you, who you are, what you do, what your mission in life is. Yes. Oh my gosh. And I know this is a rough transition, right? We've just brought up everything. So it will now inform, I think, the way that I talk about myself. But yes, I'll reintroduce myself. <laughs> I am a, no, I'm going to start this over. Okay. I'm Eve McDavid and I am whole. I have for a very long time worked in business and media and technology. And my cancer diagnosis two years ago was really at such an interesting point in time in my life. Um, I had just come off a really uh, fascinating role where I was uh, working in a, uh, in a function across the public sector. I worked across private industry for most of, for actually my entire career until this most recent role. And after I went through, um, I had a, actually I had a miscarriage in between my two children. And in the aftermath of it, I sort of did a lot of what I'm doing now. It was like a mini moment of, you know, what's happened now. Um, but it was the first time in my life that I allowed myself to grieve and feel the immense weight of realizing how fragile our lives and our existence really are. And so I looked up and I said, okay, well, I've been working in this field for so long, but what would it look like to have a real human impact? And so I made a very deliberate decision to transition from a role where I was working uh, in a sort of consumer capacity to working across uh, government entities, getting involved in uh, policy and politics and seeing how my work could have a real human impact. And so as I was planning for my maternity leave and taking six months off and then, you know, jumping right back in and getting started, all of a sudden I was diagnosed with cancer. I had a new baby and I was in total shock. And the only way I knew how to process grief and shock previously outside of experiencing the miscarriage was to work. I mean, there were so many times in my life where I just 
I mean, even after I found out I was having a miscarriage, I went back to the office and finished out my day. I mean, that's how much of a coping mechanism work was because it was constant. It was predictable and I was very good at it. And so you go to the places where you're strong when you're feeling very weak. Um, And that wasn't an option during cancer, right? I was on leave. I was on maternity leave. I was on sick leave. I was on every leave. And as a coping mechanism, I started studying my diagnosis. I started studying how a preventable cancer ends up in women in enormous numbers in, you know, in a period of modern medicine where we already have the tools to solve for this. I thought, well, like this doesn't really make sense to me. And I come from this background in technology from a really inspiring and powerful company where if there aren't solutions in the world that exist, we invent them. And here in cervical healthcare, there are so many tools and processes and products in place already. um, And yet still so many women are sick and so many women perish. And I thought, well, this, this doesn't make sense to me. And it was very, very captivating for me. I sort of looked at it as a complex problem that I would try to solve at work. What does the industry look like? Who are the people who work on this? What are their processes and what products do they use? And what I found was that this is an area of women's healthcare that looks a lot like other women's healthcare areas that are just now finally getting the awareness, the attention, the resourcing, the investment, uh, the acceleration to really change the way we go through these enormous life events in a much more well-supported way. And I thought about what I could offer the field in being able to think about technology solutions that could be applied to some of these gaps in care that women experience and and what would that look like? Uh, And so I kept a list of questions. I I, like, you know, double circled and (laughs) highlighted the ones that didn't, you know, the answers just didn't make sense to me. And I started looking for ways that I could work on those initiatives, those projects. Um, One of the areas that I've become incredibly passionate about, actually, I'll say there's sort of two things. Um, The first is, and we've talked a little bit about this before, in the the shame and the confusion around a diagnosis that's sex-related. The first is, I thought, well, I've built brands for much of my career, I, I know what it means to, uh, to make something highly visible and then to use that visibility to create an action. And what I strive to do is to make cervical healthcare something that is very accessible uh, both in our understanding of it and in the you know health equity standpoint, each woman's ability to access care, access prevention, access treatment. Um, what I I hope to do is 
to use my story as a jumping off point to make it very easy for women to talk about what this experience is like. Cervical cancer is a relatively rare diagnosis, but the progression of an HPV infection is so common. All of us have or have had HPV if we're sexually active and none of us talk about it. More than 20% of women will have an abnormal pap test, which lets them know that their HPV infection has caused some sort of cellular change that may be an indication that they could eventually develop cervical cancer. 20% is a significant amount of the population. And yet you'd never talk about this, right? You may have a one-on-one conversation with your girlfriend, maybe. Uh, but we, you know, it is not part of the public dialogue. And so my want is to use my story and my platform and my influence to help make it very easy to talk about what it means to have an HPV infection, to have an abnormal pap test, what that means and what a woman can then do to partner with her provider to follow through on follow-up care and make sure that diagnosis never turns into cervical cancer. So that's one set of the work that I'm doing. Um, The other set is how we can use what we know about the best of technology and bring it into cervical health care. The PAP test, which is an incredibly powerful screening diagnostic, we're so lucky that we have this, was developed in the 1950s. And it has not changed much since the 1950s. And there are wide margins of error on the PAP test because it's a manual diagnostic. And in many cases, depending on the resourcing of the physician's office, it's also analyzed manually. And so you have cases of false negatives and false positives where, you know, the lay woman doesn't know that when she goes in for screening, she doesn't know, you know, whether she should be concerned about the accuracy of the diagnostic. Well, there's an incredible movement to bring things like artificial intelligence and machine learning into the actual analysis of the diagnostic and the sample so that heavy lifting is, you know, taken off from a manual standpoint, but also the accuracy of the diagnostic is improved. And, you know, we use this technology in marketing tools. Like if you are advertising your podcast, you're using machine learning and artificial intelligence and the tools that are powering your advertising. So if we're using it in advertising, why are we not using it in the foundation of women's healthcare, right? So it's ideas like that, that I, I just, I thought this is a real area where my background pairs so well with this personal experience. And I believe that my involvement can help advance this field. And so um, this is you know, one area that I'm super passionate about in our use of technology to advance it. Um, I have a number of other projects underway that uh, I'm, I'm just so excited about. And um, you know, the, the long-term vision of all of this is cervical healthcare, the state of it, our standard of care, should reflect the best technology that exists today in the safest application possible to give women the best possible outcomes. That's what I stand for. 
Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to also thank you for contributing to my interview series. I survived cancer. Here's how I did it. In you sharing your story, what have you learned? Mm. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much. You know, I have read and reread our interview. Uh, that's another sort of talisman for me, right? In those days where things go a little bit haywire, I look back to a work like that and I think, oh my goodness, you know, it's just so remarkable. Um, what I have been so moved by is the deluge of women and families who've been touched by cervical cancer or other HPV related cancers who have reached out to me to say, you are the only person I've ever shared this with, but I also have HPV or I had cervical cancer or someone in my family passed from cervical cancer and we never felt comfortable talking about it. And so this is such a significant barrier to our ability to feel our way through this to get the care we need to stand up for ourselves. If we're so embarrassed to talk about what's going on with us, how does that show up in every interaction, right? Even if we like put on our emotional equipment and armor, if you still have that running in the background of, I should be embarrassed about this, this is uncomfortable. How does that color the way that we're showing up? And so what I've learned is a little bit of, experimentation with this hypothesis, right? If you shine some sunlight, if you, you know, put some daylight on something, does it take away the boogeyman? Does that fear dissolve? Does it make it easier? And it certainly made it easier for myself. I mean, even, you know, I used the word vagina earlier. I don't think I'd ever say that so confidently before all of this, you know, uh, it has totally transformed my ability to talk about myself. And uh, it has been a real leap of faith to say, I'm putting this out into the world. I chose to do this in a very professional way. I am, um, I'm using LinkedIn as my primary thought leadership platform, which meant, okay, I went from not being able to tell anyone <laughs> at work that I had HPV and cervical cancer to, I want the world to know I had HPV and cervical cancer. And it has, it has been one way that I've been able to peel back all of these parts of myself that I'd built up to protect. And now I realize that, you know, what was I protecting? I was hiding the fear from myself. Uh, and I see how it makes a difference for the folks who are reading this. And I want to do more, you know, I'm encouraged to do more. Oh, that's so beautiful. So tell my Thank audience you. where they can find you or connect with you online. Absolutely. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Eve McDavid is my is, is it a handle on LinkedIn? I don't know. Uh, you'll find me at Eve McDavid on LinkedIn. You can also find me on Twitter at Eve McDavid. And then you can also see my work on evemcdavid.com. And I have uh, featured some of the technical projects that I'm, I'm working on there too. Uh, and so if you'd like to learn more about that, um, I'm very eager for uh, anyone who's interested to get involved, please 
is subscribe, send me a note. If it's something that, you know, this, this touches you and it resonates and you're interested in exploring more, uh, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. Well, Eve, thank you so, so much. This was such a really a beautiful, beautiful conversation. Thank you so, so much. Really appreciate it. Have you, thank you so much for having me. And it's just such a pleasure to work with you in this capacity. It's, it's really such an honor. So thank you too. Sure. I really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode of The Human Resolve. If you feel that others may enjoy this episode as well, please share socially at The Human Resolve. You can also visit my website, thehumanresolve.com, where I offer one-on-one coaching sessions, a subscription to my weekly newsletter, where I probe into the secrets from living smarter to feeding your three brains, and my author website, isurvivedcancer.co, where you can purchase my number one best-selling book, I Survived Cancer and Here's How I Did It. 35 cancer survivors share their journey and view the book trailer, including excerpts from the book. If you could also help me out and give me a review and rating on this podcast platform, because I do care what you have to say, I would really appreciate it. Now, get out there, my friends, and get busy living.